Welcome, folks, to another round of The Plunge. Hopefully you're subscribed on iTunes, but if you're not, please consider following The Plunge on the iTunes store and giving us that five-star review we so desperately need to achieve podcast stardom. If you put an exclamation point after The Plunge in the search box, we are the first podcast that comes up. For this week's Terrible Takes, we have curated some of the worst of the worst conservative voices in media, politics, and the blogosphere in our ongoing attempts to discourage our fellow white males from embracing the alt-right. We'll discuss David Brooks's new bae, Jordan Peterson, proud sexist Cortland Sykes, and the foam on the rabid dog's mouth, good old Breitbart News. And across the aisle, we'll discuss Hillary Clinton's newest scandal and the myth of the Bernie bro. Before we get to the fun stuff, we are also going to discuss the sickening agenda the Trump administration has outlined for the suppression and subjugation of our immigrant comrades in the wake of the Democrats' utterly uninspiring, yet unsurprising, cave-in on the government shutdown. Please be sure to check the show notes for some worthy causes fighting to mitigate the threat the White House poses to our neighbors, friends, family, and colleagues. For pop culture this week, we are going to explore nostalgia as it relates to the unstoppable tide of reboots, sequels, and remakes flooding the film industry. We'll also talk about Netflix's Wormwood. To close us out, in this week's story time, Dan will tell you a trippy tale from his college days, culminating in an unexpected foe that will teach him the joy of service to the elderly. It's all that and more this week on The Plunge. Episode 15 of The Plunge. You're going to laugh, you're going to cry, and you're probably going to shit yourself, right, Sam? I shit myself every episode. We have so much to go through today that I feel like we should just dive in. This, I feel like, was a week of just as much of the crazy breaking news, but honestly, it's starting to just really all blur together. Yeah, I would be inclined to a degree. And there are so many fools that have come out of the woodwork this week. One person that I've been seeing endlessly, probably because I am a little too online, but this guy is Jordan Peterson. He is... He's an alt-right ass clown. And we've got a couple of them to talk about today, but... I remember thinking that it was not a good use of time to go after your Ben Shapiro's or your Jordan Peterson's. I guess we're talking about the kind of people on the alt-right who pretend to have this veneer of academic or intellectual merit. And it means that you have to actually engage with them a little bit on their own ideas because they're wrong about everything but when you mischaracterize their argument when you try to straw man them i think it makes them a little stronger so dan what's what's your read on jordan peterson so i put a list together of some quick hit facts about peterson 
before we get into our fucking favorite New York Times op-ed columnist, David Brooks, and his glowing profile of why we should take Jordan Peterson seriously in the Times. David Brooks, the sexual guide of the Plunge podcast. Yes. So, Jordan Peterson, basically his whole premise surrounds ideas that modern young men are very coddled, feminized, traditional masculine values are not embraced and it's like killing you know young young men in our society today he came to prominence recently arguing against hate crime laws in canada because he thinks that he's gonna go to jail for misgendering trans people he does not believe in pronouns this has never happened in real life. Let's make that very clear. These laws are, are hate crime laws to defend people of color and trans people from having hate crimes performed on them. I mean, it's not complicated. Jordan Peterson's not going to go to jail for being an asshole and choosing to ignore the fact that someone's gender identity is not to his liking. Yeah, and surprisingly enough, he doesn't have any issue with the fact that in some states in the U.S., like Louisiana, cops are protected under hate crime laws. It is illegal to – if you commit a crime against a police officer, if you injure or harm one of them and you do it for the reason that they are a cop, it is basically the same as if the cop was beating the shit out of me for being Jewish, which is, I think – a different story, but what do I know? Yeah, sure. Cops are a fucking um, marginalized group. Let's go with that. Why I'd be not? more willing to accept um, bald people. <laughs> Larry David would uh, be down with that. So Peterson's ideas have attracted this sort of white, disaffected male who feels kind of ignored and pushed aside by, I guess, rising progressive movements such as Me Too or efforts to fight for a equal pay for both genders, efforts such as affirmative action to uh, help minorities. Uh, his ideas are often grounded in this notion that men and women are essentially just separate, immutable personality characteristics, that the, the trans identity is impossible because all of his notions are based in these strictly, like, binary gender roles. And I've actually heard a lot of men who would call themselves liberals use a similar sexual dimorphism kind of argument where they say, oh, women tend to get paid less than men because they are, by virtue of their bodies, better suited to being teachers or caretakers rather than, say, working on an oil rig or working in finance or one of these other jobs that pay well uh, while simultaneously destroying the earth. Yes, this is a huge sticking point for Jordan Peterson. He believes that the gender pay gap essentially boils down to the fact that men and women are just different and that men are just superior workers, essentially the same kind of shit you saw in the Google memo which Jordan Peterson was a huge defender of that James Damore guy. Exactly. And when it comes down to it with Jordan Peterson, I think 
one of the things I get from him is this sense that hierarchy in society is determined by these dominance, uh, jousting kind of fucking rituals where you have to prove your dominance or dominate other people. The idea that you would ever work together or care about another human being is some liberal, cultural Marxist, postmodern bullshit. Peterson also, the Chapo Trap House guys pointed this out. He looks like Kermit the Frog and talks like Kermit the Frog. He's <laughs> Muppet-like. You know, Louis C.K. a while back talked about Tiger Woods, which, and I really liked it because people were complaining about Tiger Woods um, and his affairs. Yeah. And also about Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger and his affairs. And, um, and one of the things that Louis C.K. pointed out quite in a very comical manner was that well, many men aren't having the affairs of Tiger Woods. But that's not because they're good men. It's because they don't have, I think he said, a busload of Swedish, Swedish bikini models waiting for them at the final hole. So the idea would be that you should conduct yourself so that you are attractive to many women. Maybe that you have your pick of them. He also has this new book out it's like the 12 what's the title the 12 uh 12 rules for life and this is a number one bestseller on amazon right now which is a sign of serious moral decline at least on that website right so we don't talk about these people just because we find them to be a punchline these ideas are not just bubbling in the fringes these ideas that are extremely detrimental to our society are floating around in this idiot's uh, mind. But here's a quote. Uh, there are whole disciplines and universities forthrightly hostile towards men. These are the areas of study dominated by the postmodern stroke neo-Marxist claim that Western culture in particular is an oppressive structure created by white men to dominate and exclude women so fucking stupid he he uses big words like cultural marxism and postmodernism but people have rightly pointed out that he doesn't seem to know what he's fucking talking about uh, which if you're going to contend with those ideas it is extremely dense body of literature behind marxism and behind postmodernism or in general i think anyone who reads philosophy ever can tell that this is a rigorous discourse <laughs> this is not something that you can just dip yourself into but peterson's background i think is in psychology he just sort of inserts himself into these things we're gonna link to a really good article from uh shuja hater someone who really knows what he's talking about writing in viewpoint magazine about postmodernism and essentially how Jordan Peterson fucks it up. And he explains it a lot better than we can. We're not big philosophy guys here. But at any rate, it is important, I think, with guys like Brandon Shapiro. Sorry, not Ben Brandon. Shapiro. Ben. I, always call, <laughs> I always call him Brandon. I don't know why. He just looks like a Brandon to me. Maybe because he's little and impish and angry. I, I don't know where I would get that delusion from. But... With people like Ben Shapiro or other alt-right figures who are thinly disguised racist idiots behind this veneer of 
academic or intellectual rigor. You just have to know how they're wrong so that you can really not just write them off, but thoroughly be able to debunk them, not just for other people, but for yourself. You need to know that these ideas are wrong and why they're wrong. And that's why I think we wanted to talk about it. Exactly. Like, I feel like there's value in understanding why the guy on your Facebook feed who's sharing these videos is a moron. Yeah, I guess you most frequently see these pseudo-intellectuals in the context of, you know, Ben Shapiro dunks on this trans woman or something stupid like that. They are always these kind of YouTube owns that get spread in a viral manner. And that's really all they have to offer is just this tiny little blank destroys blank with some argument that the viewer would already have to kind of agree with anyway to be able to believe. And, well, we're hoping to give you some ammunition every time you see this on your Facebook feed or any other social media you happen to dwell upon so why don't we dive into our sexual god david brooks and his glowing portrait of jordan peterson titled the jordan peterson moment published in the times last week sam you had to particular umbrage with one quote of course we've talked about david brooks on this show before and we know that we don't need to go through the whole article, which is just going to be some more of his unfounded ideas about masculinity and morality and how to redeem his fellow white man. But it's, it's obviously no accident that David Brooks has stumbled upon Jordan Peterson and likes him a lot because David Brooks is a fucking moron. He definitely saw a shitload of these stupid YouTube videos we were talking about earlier where Jordan Peterson dunks on someone who thinks that you should treat another human with a modicum of respect. And he was like, see, this is exactly what how I feel. Whenever people try to come up in my comments and say that my ideas are lame, conservative, grandpa ravings about young people, then I wish I could dunk on them like Jordan Peterson. It, it goes to show how sad David Brooks's life is that he thinks that Jordan Peterson's like a rock star and a badass but uh I'll stop ranting this quote is just so fucking heinous he says what's most interesting about Peterson's popularity especially the success of his new book 12 rules for life is what it says about the state of young men today the implied readers of his work are men who feel fatherless, solitary, floating in a chaotic moral vacuum, constantly outnumbered and humiliated by women. His long fucking lists that have no sense of parallelism or any fucking stylistic or grammatical cohesion at all are insanely bad and make his ideas that much worse. Haunted by pain and self-contempt, at some level, Peterson is offering assertiveness training to men whom society is trying to turn into emasculated snowflakes. In what fucking context? What, what, by letting women get paid equally? It's, it's... 
every time I have to say rape is bad, a little part of my masculinity dies. But either way, David Brooks is so fucking stupid. He's exactly who he's talking about here. He does feel solitary and floating in a chaotic moral vacuum. This is a very good self-read. <laughs> oh, here's he's, the strong get the spoils and the weak become meek, defeated, unknown, and unloved. And then right before that, he's like, he inspires their idealism by telling them life is hard. I think what really got to you was this idea of like the the fatherless, lonely young man who needs guidance from this daddy as if there aren't like 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 there's plenty of people who can tell you life is hard in a way that isn't like so filled with like hatred and like I think you're correct and David Brooks is obsessed with the idea of fatherlessness last father's day he had an extremely fucking tasteful article that I think the title of it was why fathers abandon their children and it was just this big long fucking middle-aged dad screed about how fathers don't get respect and he basically just rattled off he misquoted some academic study and then he rattled off a bunch of stereotypes but i guess for me like i lost my father at a young age and this idea that because of that i'm somehow less of a man has kind of always followed me every male figure in my life from football coach to fucking bosses when i was you know when i was younger i guess your first job your bosses become sort of weird parents they've all weirdly tried to awkwardly insert their fucking selves into that space as if they could be a father figure for me because i am somehow lost without it and to all the people who are of that line of thought you can get a big resounding fuck you because it is so fucking patronizing and disgusting to read especially in the the paper of record the new york times the idea that they think this is worth publishing really informs how i have felt about the newspaper of late can i just share you a little more of peterson's writing because it's just so bad and then we'll move on yeah for sure so peterson says chaos is the impenetrable darkness of a cave and the accident by the side of the road it's the mother grizzly all compassion to her cubs who marks you as potential predator and tears you to pieces chaos the eternal feminine is also the crushing force of sexual selection women are choosy maters most men do not meet female human standards it's just like fucking men's rights fucking bullshit like it's not shocking that david brooks was like fucking hoodwink to like these alt-right fucks yeah david brooks was definitely susceptible to the alt-right but uh, jordan peterson i think it's worth engaging with him because so many it's a good he's a good sophist similar to dinesh d'souza as well some other <laughs> some of these other right-wing fucking dudes who i guess we read it and we can easily see how fucking stupid it is but to some inexplicable segment of the population this is compelling and once that happens you you really do have to just find the nuts and bolts of it and be able to fucking disprove all of his bullshittery so i guess anytime someone comes at you with these jordan peterson things 
we can't even appear to lose to these arguments. Otherwise, it's the same thing as that Trump Hillary debate where all liberals all thought that like Hillary Clinton won the presidential debates. But if you were watching it and you didn't know anything about politics, Trump is just walking around being like, yeah, yeah, I'm right. I'm smarter. I'm taller. I'm bigger. Like he just seems like he was, if you didn't know anything, you would think he was winning, I guess. Well, in other alt-right <laughs> news, oh, so right-wing Twitter flipped out when CNN this week published a story. Here's the headline. Cuckolding can be positive for some couples, study says. This is in CNN. The, I guess what the alt-right would say is the fake news uh, capital. So I'm just going to read a little bit from it because this is just, this is just, uh compelling in our current political climate the term cuck short for cuckservative has become an insult of the so-called alt-right aimed at men they view as spineless and emasculated the slur has its roots in the concept of cuckolding or having an adulterous partner references to cuckolding appear in literature as early as the 13th century usually in the form of male characters who fear that their child has been sired by another man during an act of infidelity today however cuckolding has become fetishized into a powerful sexual fantasy for some men who get aroused by the idea of their romantic partner engaging in sexual activity with someone else women also share this fantasy but less so than men The numbers suggest that cuckolding, or at least thinking about it, is more common than you might think. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Apparently the article argues that (laughs) cuckolding being a taboo act uh, can be good for some couples who need to spice up their love life. So basically, having another man fuck your wife and you watching is a good thing. This is definitely just the classic CNN lifestyle piece about some topic that probably a lot of CNN readers maybe don't know about or wouldn't expect to see talked about by an uh, or an entity like CNN that is has as far of a reach as CNN does. But I think the best part of this has been just the right wing going fucking bananas on Twitter about this. I'm looking at an account called Bob Loblaw. <laughs> I think that's a reference to the rest of the development. He says, lol, liberals got tired of being called cucks by moron Trump sheep. Their counter, make it okay to be a cuck. Actual CNN article, not The Onion. Uh, there's some reaction videos. CNN is a train wreck, lol. And the article says some people can turn shame lemons into kinky lemonade. Ha 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 So this confirms Don Lemon is a cuck. This article was strictly written for him, I bet. Like, people are just going buck wild on CNN about how cucking is bad for the world. I think Paul Joseph Watson, the prison planet or whatever, also had some tweets about it. Like, they've been losing their mind. Right, it seems that they read this as CNN trying to justify their weak positions on many issues that the alt-right believes. They believe it to be like a sort of justification of the idea that you can be a cuck servant. 
I mean, literally, there's, like, people on here, this guy's saying, I'm losing my mind because CNN says it's okay and healthy to be a cuck, which actually is true. Like, CNN doesn't necessarily need to have articles about this, but you shouldn't judge other people's sexual kinks. This isn't a kink-shaming kind of podcast, but the fact that the alt-right thinks this is, like, an attack on, um, I have no fucking idea, their masculinity or America, it just goes to show how fucking trollish and foolish these fucking alt-right dudes are now these alt-right dudes have been coming after cnn this week literally here are some comments from breitbart's comment section that this group sleeping giants all i think all they are is just like a twitter page nobody knows who runs it but their goal is to get all of breitbart's uh advertisers to remove them from their ad buy so they'll kind of like put companies on blast whose ads are on the Breitbart website. The page for Sleeping Giants and they're at SLPNG underscore Giants posted some of these screenshotted comments from the Breitbart website. CNN better start providing 24-hour security for their fake news reporters. Burn CNN down. Hang all CNN reporters. MAGA. Jesus. Too bad he didn't carry out his plan. He'd be a national hero. Oh, I didn't mention, these are all comments on an article about a man who threatened and failed to carry out a plot to murder CNN journalists. Right, which we rag on CNN a lot on this show, but... We're not advocating for anyone to be murdered. We don't want the journalists to come under fo- under like physical duress. But literally this one comment here, is, which is insane to me, it says CNN building, and then it's redacted. But it says he basically gives a location of it. It says at Georgia 30303. Like, I think that's in Atlanta. Um, so basically giving the fucking address, which I guess – in Atlanta, CNN's kind of an institution. Like People go there for tourism purposes and stuff. I don't know if they necessarily need the address. But either way, the intent is there. It's And it says that it's a gun-free zone and security's only in the lobby. Like He's specifically saying, like, go do it now, blow up the CNN. I think that if you have political targets... I mean, then... look at Pizzagate. It, it does translate to real life. Yeah. And also, if, if you're gonna like try to oh, like, I guess, change the world, you're gonna you're gonna go after CNN first. I don't know, <laughs> just strategy wise. How much influence does CNN really? How many minds are really changed by CNN? Isn't CNN more of just like what's on in the background at the airport? For sure, it it literally is on in the background of the TVs of like my my office building for sure. Breitbart published this really fucked up article where basically they say that because of CNN's content, they deserve to be killed by crazy Breitbart readers and alt-right people. This author is John Nolte, and he says CNN's climate of hate comes home to roost. For nearly five years, going all the way back to the Trayvon Martin uproar, Breitbart News has aggressively documented CNN's devolution into a 24-7 hate network. This week, CNN's climate of hate finally came home to roost when a Michigan man, provoked by CNN's fake news crisis, allegedly made death threats against the far-left network. And then it goes on to just list all of the times that CNN apparently, like, 
provoked people to murder its journalists such as cnn apparently and they just all these like link to breitbart articles which i'm sure are filled with false uh information and complete fabrication but here's one cnn's jake tapper stood in the middle of the ferguson missouri tinderbox and poured gasoline all over it with a hysterical anti-police rant oh my god CNN openly called for rioting in Baltimore. CNN anchor Brooke Baldwin suggested Baltimore cops were staffed with unstable war veterans. CNN attempted to turn the man who tried to assault then-candidate Donald Trump into a folk hero. CNN compares Trump to Hitler, claims he is Putin's Manchurian candidate, that he is an illegitimate president, and then, after presenting the president as a unique threat and a danger to the country, CNN points what looks like a sniper scope at trump's oval office window jesus christ yeah if you need any reason to side with cnn on anything this is absolutely fucked up that breitbart would endorse this article which essentially is a justification for violence against cnn employees it seems also like they're inciting violence against it it seems like they're trying to tell their base inform them about what they think are these heinous fucking moments when people clearly already have kind of taken to heart that they should threaten violence against fucking you know useless journalists anyway um it's so fucked up how they end the article with this this last paragraph so far though these death threats appear to have only emboldened cnn to spread even more provocative fake news against trump which is unfortunate the idea that cnn is willing to play with fire when no one wants to see anyone over there get hurt is to say the least a disturbing spectacle it's like when someone's like pointing a gun at you and say like hey i hope uh, no one shoots you <laughs> it's such a beautiful news network it'd be a shame if something were to happen to it <laughs> no i think what's so fucking funny about this is that to put it on a lighter note these fucking idiots these alt-right fucking morons are so dense that they will make these snowflakey identity politicsy arguments about shit when they're the ones who are always claiming that the left is insane for doing so they are literally arguing here that cnn's vague inconsistencies and stylistic choices are somehow violence and then but when campus protesters do the same thing when campus protesters say things that say that certain speech is violence they will mock it and be like you're a bunch of snowflakes but then they still adopt the same rhetoric for the most part it's so fucking stupid and honestly it's such a bad look for people that I, i can't understand how anyone gets down with this stuff I mean, we need to start rehabilitating these alt-writers. This is such like a sin to spread this misinformation and bullshittery around. I mean, I don't know. Any alt-writers who are interested in switching sides, you know, hit us up in the DMs. We'll work with you, I guess. Depending on how far gone you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, no skinheads. Yeah, fuck you if you're a skinhead. Uh, go, uh find some real hobbies if you're, um, if you're all right curious then give us a call please like there's another way you don't have to live like this you don't have to just descend into this fucking blogger embarrassment just to cap off this story the amount of disinformation put out by cnn it feels more like the 
indication of a corporate negligence than an active strategy. For sure. And Breitbart, it's the opposite. So <laughs> that, to me, is where the line is. I prefer incompetence to malice, honestly. I think we can stick a pin in that one. I agree. So the GOP have a really, really respecter of women Jeez, Senate guy. candidate. God, what a fucking dumb name. Cortland Sykes, who's <laughs> running for U.S. Senate as a Republican in Missouri, posted a statement to Facebook when asked if he supports women's rights. Cortland Sykes said, I want to come home to a home-cooked dinner every night at six. One that she fixes, and one that I expect one day to have daughters learn to fix after they become traditional homemakers and family wives. According to Sykes, feminists push an agenda that made up to suit their own nasty, snake-filled heads. The candidate said that he hoped his daughters do not grow up to be career-obsessed banshees who forego home life and children and the happiness of family to become nail-biting, manophobic, (laughs) hell-bent feminist she-devils who shriek from the top of a thousand tall buildings that they think they could have leaped in a single bound had men not been suppressing them. It's just nuts. And he said at the end, uh, he supports women's rights, but not the kind that has suppressed natural womanhood for five decades. But good news, they're finished. Ask Hillary. Ugh. Yeah, this one was, this is dark. Anytime I think we're anywhere near some sort of progress, you know, that our generation is going to hopefully see a better world or be able to create it, I see some bullshit like this. Fucking, he brings up, he says, my home should be more like Norman Rockwell and Gloria Steinem be damned. So he can't even deal with feminists from like the fucking 70s, man. His references are God damn it. (laughs) That's bleak. He did mention Hillary at the end of the article, and there was an enormous breaking story about Hillary this week. It sucks that he's able to say, he's able to use Hillary Clinton's name as an attack on the left. And one of the reasons that Hillary Clinton's name is an effective attack on the general left, including, you know, the center liberals and even people like us, because they think that we support her more than just holding our nose to vote for her. They think that we really think she's a great lady. (laughs) And honestly, she has not done much to cultivate trust in her name and this scandal that broke recently is a perfect illustration of what I was just talking about. So I'm just going to read this article and you tell me, Sam, if you still think that Yas Queen Hillary is the feminist that we deserve. A senior advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign who was accused of repeatedly sexually harassing a young subordinate, was kept on the campaign at Miss Clinton's request, according to four people familiar with what took place. Clinton's campaign manager at the time 
recommended that she did fire the advisor, Burns Strider, but Mrs. Clinton did not. Instead, Mr. Strider was docked several weeks of pay and ordered to undergo counseling, and the young woman was moved to a new job. Mr. Strider, who was Mrs. Clinton's faith advisor, was a founder of the American Values Network and sent the campaign scripture readings every morning for months during the campaign. He was hired five years later to lead an independent group that supported Mrs. Clinton's 2016 candidacy. Correct the record, which was created by a close ally of Mrs. Clinton, David Brock. He was fired after several months for workplace issues, including allegations that he harassed a young female aide, according to three people close to Correct the Records management. Mr. Strider did not respond to multiple requests for comment. Those familiar with the accounts said that over the years, a number of advisors urged Mrs. Clinton to sever ties with Mr. Strider, and people familiar with what took place did not want to see Mrs. Clinton blamed for the misconduct of men she was close to. The complaint from the young woman was initially brought to Jess O'Connell, who is the director of operations for the Clinton campaign. Mrs. O'Connell, who is currently the chief executive officer of the Democratic National Committee, handled the investigation and advised the Clinton campaign manager, Patty Solis Doyle, that Strider should be fired, according to three people familiar with the events. So, pretty indefensible. I, I could go through the rest of this, uh, the details, but I think we understand what's being suggested here. I think there are, is a good segment of her support that would say that despite her failings, Hillary Clinton is overwhelmingly a force for good for women. And I think things like this and taken in the context with the structural things that she has done to harm people. Most specifically, I'm thinking of the Clinton Foundation's conduct in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake, which is just despicable, you know, suppressing the minimum wage, basically operating fucking, you know, just in, in conjunction with what the UN did, spreading cholera and raping people. The Clinton Foundation was basically running sweatshops. Just to, she has this ability to oppress women at her own level on her level interpersonally or in her the workplace that she administrates but also on this massive structural level and it just means that we really can't take her seriously as this i guess maybe the benefits of her breaking down doors and being the first female politician in some roles is valuable i like uh, an, an image level and in terms of getting young women and young people inspired to run but even then we've seen that millennial women didn't really bang with hillary clinton so i don't know what her worth is anymore i feel bad for the people who still have so much faith in her because she has disappointed them so much more than she could have ever disappointed us god the end of this article is so bleak the woman who made the accusation against Strider in 2008 has not spoken publicly about it. She, like most of the campaign staff members, signed a non-disclosure agreement that barred employees from publicly discussing internal dynamics on the campaign, according to two people with direct knowledge of the contract. Reached by a reporter, she declined to comment. Ms. Solis Doyle also declined to comment. Mrs. Clinton's candidacy 
has been cited as an inspiration for the Me Too movement, but she has not played a visible role in it. After several Hollywood actresses told the Times and the New Yorker that Harvey Weinstein, a longtime friend and donor to the Clintons, had harassed or assaulted them, Mrs. Clinton spoke out against his behavior, saying in a statement that she was shocked and appalled by the revelations. Weeks later, the actress Lena Dunham, one of Mrs. Clinton's most valuable celebrity reporters in her 2016 presidential bid, told the Times that she warned two Clinton campaign aides against associating with Mr. Weinstein. I just want you to know that Harvey's a rapist and this is going to come out at some point, Ms. Dunham said she told the campaign. Holy shit. Nick Merrill, the communications director for Mrs. Clinton, said at the time Ms. Dunham spoke publicly that she was mistaken. As to claims about a warning, that's something staff wouldn't forget, he said. Jeez. And see, this is actually brings me to another criticism of Hillary Clinton that I think is extremely pertinent, which is that another argument you hear from her support is that she, despite her failings, despite the fact that she doesn't necessarily believe in all the things that we want, we should have faith in Hillary Clinton because she is a skilled politician. But things like this, where she refuses to distance herself from people who are politically like toxic, and this has been demonstrated again and again throughout her career. And you do see career losers like Peter Dow or Mark Penn or these other fucking morons trying to get jobs with her again and again because they know that she's willing to – she wants the same kind of people around. The same thing with that stupid email scandal it was mainly because she just didn't want to like – she wanted a specific – IT setup for her that was familiar. She's just unable to adapt to a changing environment, which is a key skill of a fucking politician. And if you can't do that, stay the fuck out of the way because you're just going to lose, which is what you've done. And I, I can't bang with that idea that we should believe that if she got into the White House, she would just to be president deals and fucking get us the best shit ever because she's so good at politics. It just has not been borne out in the data. She also was kind enough to tweet an explanation that really could not have been more vague. A story appeared today about something that happened in 2008. I was dismayed when it occurred, but was heartened the young woman came forward, was heard, and had her concerns taken seriously and addressed. I called her today to tell her how proud I am of her, and to make sure she knows what all women should. We deserve to be heard. So, really great job of Hillary to be both vague and not take any fucking responsibility for this enormous fuck up but uh please uh, go ahead hey everyone i just wanted to say thanks thanks for your feminism for your activism and all i can hope is you keep up the really important good work and let me just say this is directed to the activist bitches supporting bitches <laughs> so let's go <laughs> The canned Ooh. laughter. She sounds. She does sound like a laugh track. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, what do you have to say about that, Dan? Oh, uh, I support the bitches supporting the bitches. Well, Dan, we are in hell world. To 
pull us out of hell world. Let's go to the numbers a little bit on a study from uh, Quinnipiac. A new poll of 1,212 voters taken last week found that Bernie Sanders was far and away the most viable Democratic candidate. 76% approval, beating Oprah, 69%, and Gillibrand, 25%, and that, moreover, his approval ratings were highest among women and people of color, putting a lie to the stereotype of Bernie bros as young, middle-class, white, male, political radicals were oblivious to the more moderate preferences of others. Either you have a very robust theory of false consciousness to explain this, or maybe you should reconsider the idea that Bernie speaks only two and four white bros. So just to give you an indication, he has 50% support among women, 70% among blacks, 55% among Latinx, 46% men, and 43% whites. So <laughs> there you fucking go. So white people fucking hate Bernie <laughs> in pro- compared to like women. White, what? I mean, does it say white men too? Let me see this. Amongst white men, for, they had the lowest score, 41%. So literally, if you're a white man, if you're a bro, you are the least likely to fucking support Bernie Sanders. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, I can't, <laughs> so I, I also attached two articles from, you know, a while ago, one from Jamil Smith in the new Republic, uh, and one from Slate just about like, it just these disingenuous like articles about like everything <laughs> is wrong about the Bernie bros, how unnecessary, this is Amanda Hess and Slate, how unnecessary critique of leftist sexism deteriorated into a dumb flame war. Okay, so the thing with the Bernie bro that that gets me the most, despite the fact that it is just, just patently false, as we've known for a long time, is the fucking insane characterizations of them. Known as the Bernie bro, he typically presents as a white male Bernie Sanders supporting supporter who haunts internet comment sections. He has been spotted orchestrating pylons on Hillary Clinton's Facebook page and firing off tweets reducing Clinton and her supporters to their vaginas? What the I f- mean, is I, he... I think that a lot of these examples of the Bernie bro are just purely anecdotal. A lot of the hysteria you hear about the Bernie bro... I guess hysteria is kind of a sexist word. Sorry about that. A lot of the wildness you hear about the Bernie bro is unfounded but mostly anecdotal and it's funny because they you brought up the fact that they think that these white men are the problem on the left and the right which goes to that horseshoe theory garbage where they say that people on the far left are closer in ideology to people on the far right which obviously makes no sense for a reason but liberals love this all this uh horseshoe theory line of politics where it fucking they think that people on the far left are the same as the far right which it's something you'd more expect to hear from the alt-right this kind of like you're either with us or you're against us sort of shit and it's really embarrassing to see it i i think that when they use this anecdotal evidence to illustrate this you know cultural panic phenomenon of the bernie bro it reminds me of like Waters World or some shit on Fox News, you know? <laughs> yeah, Waters World is Jesse Waters is like 
racist ass humor just he does like man on the street bits where he says like ching chong to asian people it's it's you know he's an asshole yeah obviously this isn't to that extent but i think it's a similar it's a similar idea it's just political garbage and this cultural panic over something that has basically been categorically shown to not exist but I guess some people haven't realized that facts matter, which is another way that these liberal idiots are similar to the fucking alt-right. So, fuck them, and let's, let's move forward. What do we have next, Dan? The last episode featured us discussing what had just happened the night before we recorded, which was the government shutdown. By the time our episode was out, pretty much right after that, Cuck Schumer reopened the government by striking a deal, and Sam has quite a bit to say about it, so why don't you give us your immigration rant? All right, folks. I'm going to try to keep this to five minutes. I think I can do that. That's my goal. I think that we are at a kind of critical time in our nation's reckoning right now in that this decision in 2018 over what immigration to the United States is going to look like is in a way, I think going to, if it goes the wrong way, be known as like the precipitate, the beginning of just our descent into really fucking dark right wing totalitarian shit in this country, as far as the incredible, empowerment of law enforcement to act to take advantage of the security apparatus that the right executive branch has right right now at its disposal and use it to really just ruin whole communities so we've seen that the linchpin of this budget deal is the decision over what they're going to do with the daca recipients which is seven hundred thousand people who check in with the government the government basically has all of their data and they're in a protected status where they're not allowed to be deported which is something that obama uh, initiated but if the trump administration wanted to just show up at all of their houses with an a massive task force of ice officers it would be very fucking dark. It would be very 1930s Germany. It would be like, I, I'm one of my punchlines about Trump when he was running, which was a very dark joke then and has only gotten darker, is the idea that the last guy who wanted to deport 11 million people wasn't too great. That being a reference to obviously Hitler. But deportation is the physical deprivation of your fucking body it is when they steal you away from your life and send you back to a country that you may not have been to in decades when the another a thing that's not on the table with this whole budget fiasco where fucking little baby pussy boy chuck schumer backed down and sold out the fucking these DACA recipients have a month um they have until march 5th to uh, left of status people will start expiring the government will know where they are and be able to they've the government has been forced to accept daca applications for renewal per a court order that was recently decided in the san francisco district court but 
either way, it what I'm thinking is that this is if if people don't if our government doesn't make a stand to say we are not the kind of country that does this shit, then it's this will be the time when we realize that we slid into just pure fucking madness. Another thing that's not on the table is TPS, which is another sort of a similar thing to DACA kind of where people have been able to have status um, for illegal entries uh, or undocumented entries and remain, but check in with ice. And these are people who once again, the government has their name and address and shit. And they've just ended it for Haiti, El Salvador. This is hundreds of thousands of people who are just being deprived of their status. But, and these are people who Obama promised he could you could give your information to him and the government and you would not be punished. Yes. And um, Obama's head of like Latino outreach switched her party affiliation from Democrat to independent after the after Chuck Schumer and the fucking pussy Democrats ended the shutdown with us with I mean they ended it with this stupid budget deal that includes a shitload of really expensive tax cuts, number one. So it's another way that the Republicans fucking win. And they have a promise from Mitch McConnell that they will renegotiate this in on February 8th. It's unthinkable. It's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. And you have your Ezra Kleins and people defending it, and there are reasons that they would do that. But... For DACA recipients, it's nothing but a big sellout. It's just like, we actually don't fucking care about you at all. We don't care about protecting you. And the same goes for TPS, which is not on the table, that being temporary protected status. And it's just madness. You also see way more disheartening things like Joe Arpaio running for Arizona senator, which we discussed. But one of the most heinous things that came out recently was the White House's heinous immigration wish list, which is a very Trumpian fucking document is one page of bullet points that's been circulating amongst republican senators they're all down with it they think this is a fine thing it includes 25 billion dollar trust fund for the border wall system ports of entry and exit and northern improvements and enhancements which just means i god knows what they're gonna fucking put there but even more heinous they are appropriating additional funds to hire more personnel for DHS, for ICE, for CBP, for the people who will be doing the work to kick these fucking people out. If the Democrats were to approve shit like this, I really think it would be the moment where we slide into an abyss. I mean, you already saw something like with that seven a raid on 7-Eleven where they fucking around a, a, a fucking organized concentrated raid on a single employer across the country in 21 states and the district of columbia it's disgusting i'm sorry it's obscene and it's it's really something that i think has been alien to this point besides like the i mean going back to like this reminds me of like the internment camps or some really dark shit in our history and it does provide the white house plan does provide a path to citizenship for daca legalization but that's 1.8 1.8 million people. TPS is not on the list. They also wants to end chain migration, which keeps people in countries that like the U.S. has categorically destroyed over the past fucking century or throughout even longer when you think about countries like Haiti. Um, and he also wants to eliminate the diversity visa, which is another way for people from countries that have been destroyed by the United States to escape the carnage by escaping to the United States, which is a fucked up decision to have to make to have to like abandon your home. But it's just disturbing, and 
I do think that people, there's not enough gravity around. There is a lot of focus on these things, but it seems sort of soap opera-y. It's like these nice immigrant children are hanging in the balance, but I, people do need to think about it as not just the citizenship. The, the, the DACA stuff is very important, don't get me wrong, but the fucking appropriations the White House wants to empower CBP and ICE and DHS to do this fucking dirty ass work is terrifying. It's really disturbing. It's so frustrating that promises that were made to immigrant communities weren't kept, but it kind of shows the, f the failure, I guess, of the executive branch being imbued with power to change these rules at will. Um, with the help, I guess, of these Democrats who couldn't hardline a real deal. I mean, why do you think that they didn't hold out for more? I think because they're just dependent on polls. There were a couple polls that came out. There was one that blamed Republicans for the shutdown but there was a second one that showed that people wouldn't want a government shutdown predicated on DACA legalization. So this is sort of like what we were talking about in the last episode, how people were tweeting that they sold out the armed forces for a bunch of illegal immigrants, which is a wrong way to categorize the shutdown. But the Democrats listen to Republicans more than they listen to their own base. And I think that's really what it came down to. And it's despicable, honestly. There's just no way that they're going to hammer through any kind of good fucking... There's no way to legislate away the executive branch's sweeping power. I mean, there there is a way to do it, but it's not on the table currently. Right, and Stephen Miller apparently had these angry, shouting phone calls this week with, the, with congressional representatives... And he apparently is just really hardlining this um, anti-immigrant stance. It's really a, a, a top priority for Stephen Miller and especially and John Kelly. When you read the White House memo, you see a lot of Stephen Miller and John Kelly in there in terms of just this hawkish insanity. And I think another thing you see from them actually is these immigrant terrorism studies that DOJ and DHS have been putting out. Uh, obviously, Jeff Sessions has a big role in this. Jeff Sessions wants to turn our immigration policy way back to like the 1920s when we had quotas on, uh, racialized quotas for the most part. Anyway, I mean, we still have that to a degree. But the, uh, the, the tone is just immigrants are the enemy. We are taking them out. It's disturbing. It's something that is going to be very hard for right. our nation to come to terms with. I feel like their rhetoric suggests they're a problem that is bubbling rather than human beings that are human beings and can exist among you without you treating them like terrorists or For sure. villains. Uh, it's not even, I don't even want to go so far as to say like they can contribute to your community because that shouldn't even matter. No, you're, hitting on something that is crucially important because as you look at these hard right fucking reactions to immigration 
it is very important to point out that a lot of the more liberal arguments you hear in favor of immigration are horseshit that are not grounded in human rights, which is what you should, which should animate your belief in immigration policy. They are, it's, it's, it's the immigrants are good politics, are good capitalists. Immigrants are good for politics. Immigrants are good for cheap labor. Right, your everyday, your everyday liberal has said as far back as I can remember that, oh, immigrants are good because they do the jobs we don't want to do. Yeah, which is, a f- which is fucked up. And obviously, I'm not trying to demean anyone's labor, but that should not be the fucking reason that you want people to have a nice life. You should just, it, you should your desire for human rights and to your humanity should just fucking compel you to feel this way. So how can people? I, I don't know. How can pe- people do anything if they hear about like raids or? I don't know, is there a place to donate? If you see any raids or enforcement actions, then you should... Uh, one AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, has been asking people to report all raids and enforcement fa- actions. That could be any experiences that's of what CBP is doing at the airport if you're coming internationally. That could be if you see, obviously, people being taken out of their homes or places of work in, in your neighborhood or around anywhere that you happen to see that and it could be there's a lot of things that could qualify and they're looking for any description of their tactics and what they're doing because uh, dhs has been like pulling up in unmarked cars and going into churches and shit they've, they've been pulling some really nasty shit that they haven't done before and it's very useful to have that information there are a lot of i, I put up some charities in the show notes of that you can donate to that do legal services for Immigrants. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the f- responses that you can have at this point are very legalistic, but sometimes you need that. There are definitely some more local organizations that maybe do some direct action. I bet DSA would be good to donate to for that in that regard. But OSI Baltimore is a good organization for that area. There's one that I work with a lot called Just Neighbors, which is really sweet. They're out in Northern Virginia. And there's a huge like population with DACA and TPS and a lot of refugees who live there, and they really do a lot of good work. And um, Hogar Immigrant Immigrant Services in Arlington, the links are in the uh, in the show notes. And if you have time, they also will are always looking for volunteers to help out in the community and and help do legal. You, trust me, doing legal work for immigrants is not that hard. Anyone can do it. You just go and fill out their forms. It, if they have representation at all and and these organizations can help them out with the filing fee prices, then it makes a huge difference. So yeah, that's all I have to say on that. Probably went a little long. All right. So let's go into the pop culture corner. And this week we're discussing the persistence of nostalgia. I would say not in like a really like macro sense. We're going to kind of zoom in on a couple things, but the first being Wormwood on Netflix, this is Errol Morris's six-episode documentary series, which Sam and I just binge-watched in the last couple days. Yeah, I got, I had it on my phone. I was watching it on the Metro. <laughs> so fucking good. It was addictive. I, I With the true crime series, I generally want to stretch them out, but this one, uh, it definitely transcended true crime. It was really like a government intrigue thriller. Um... So I just want to read the first part of the Vanity Fair write-up about it. 
In the early morning of November 28, 1953, 42-year-old Army scientist Frank Olson went out of the window of a room in New York's Statler Hotel. Was it an accident or an assassination? Wormwood, the new Netflix true crime documentary reenactment series from director Errol Morris, investigates just that, Olson's possible murder and the conspiracy to cover up the death of a man who may have been ready to reveal government secrets. Among those possibly wishing to silence him, the CIA, President Gerald Ford's chief and deputy chief of staff, some men you may know named Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney, respectively, plus a rogues gallery of military men, a pseudo-psychiatrist, and a magician. I sometimes describe Wormwood as a series of Russian nesting dolls, stories, inside stories, inside stories, inside stories, the Academy Award-winning documentarian says of the series, the title of which refers both a line from Hamlet and a Bible passage. So Sam, what did you think of this series? I, this is kind of dark, but I love the aesthetic of it. I love that MK Ultra shit. I love the, I guess, cover-ups in the Korean War, which is something that doesn't get brought up a lot. The Korean War is fucking fascinating. I didn't even know material. that. I knew nothing about that, so that was really oh, yeah. interesting. No, fucking fascinating material. In high school, I was big into the Korean War POWs and, like, their stories. I think I wrote some research papers about them. I always thought they were fascinating, and I still kind of do to this day. So, I guess what I liked about Wormwood was that it showed a guy trying to figure out why... His father died. Initially, it was suggested that he jumped or accidentally fell out of a window in New York City. And it is revealed that he was part of LSD tests. And could you speak a little more to what sort of ends LSD tests, to what ends those tests were used by the U.S. government? LSD has a fascinating history because it was invented by like a psychiatrist, I think. It was Albert Hoffman. It was primarily, um, before it became like a counterculture thing in the 60s, it was something that scientists mostly talked about and psych cutting-edge psychiatrists. And it was invented in the 40s, I think. So pretty close to before when Frank Olson would have possibly had LSD tested on him. But... Basically, with MK Ultra, they wanted to see if they could invent a truth serum, both to see if they could use it on spies or defectors, people they capture, or it could be used on U.S. soldiers. They want—they were just in this insane arms race during the Cold War, which delivered us in this fucking hell world where they're just we every day wake up amazed that we have not nuked ourselves a thousand times over. There was this kind of obsession with just finding this magic bullet, James Bond sort of shit to bring down the Ruskies. And you thought they thought that acid could really be the thing that did it. So they would just test it on fucking random people. That's what the MK Ultra thing is. For decades, they just tested, which I guess any listeners who have had experiences with psychedelics, I don't think that it's something that people would want administered without their knowledge or being tortured with fucking psychedelic drugs sounds terrifying objectively just disturbing stuff right and it seemed like in olsen's case it was administered sort of as an effort to see what kind of 
information you could get out of someone. It was like for interrogation. Exactly. I found that so interesting because if we're to draw like parallels to today and like enhanced interrogation, it's only gotten like more and more like violent and like psychologically brutal. Absolutely. Um, the series, which I, I didn't really know before I started watching it, but it included these reenactments featuring Peter Sarsgaard as Olsen. And then some great actors like, uh, Jimmy Simpson and, um, Tim Blake Nelson were some of the government officials. What I liked so much about those reenactments were like seeing him go through these LSD tests and the questionable death which is reenacted a few times to show the different ways it could have happened it definitely reflected this sort of like nostalgia which at the end of the series is really what i think errol morris was trying to highlight that and this is a tweet from errol morris um wormwood used by hamlet to describe bitter truth doesn't produce dramatic tension by exploiting our desire to be in on the secret it exposes us to the baser side of that desire, the narcissism, mean-spiritedness, and contempt that are the psychological realities of secrecy. So I thought it did a great job in, like, tying, like he said, the bitterness of wanting to be in on the secret and, like, the bitterness of feeling like you don't have an adequate answer to a question that is eating at you. And in this case, it was Olsen's son who devoted the rest of his life to uncovering what happened to his father and at the end of the film really says like is it even better to know the truth that to know that my father was killed versus you know to know that my father was uh politically assassinated or would it have better to just move on with my life and live my life and those questions i think are really really uh complicated and i absolutely loved how it was applied in this documentary yeah this was like a concerted work of fucking art they there were so many themes at play it was such an original take on to, true crime i love the idea of true crime committed by the government i love just the aesthetic uh, the reenactments were were killer and the mix of the reenactments with the more documentarian aspect of the film in interviews with his son and other officials who were involved in the death of Frank Olson. It was a fascinating piece of work. And then just obviously uh, Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney Ugh. were an enormous part of this. And they, which I think we have to just reiterate, were part of way more horrors than donald trump so far so far <laughs> but uh no i think you're right and it also goes it's also a good thing to see today when so many liberal human rights people are acting like the deep state will save the cia will save us from trump somehow oh my or god the FBI I kept, is gonna do I kept, it i kept thinking about that how like God, watch this and then tell me, like, Robert Mueller and, like, James <laughs> Comey are, like, your bae. Well, maybe Mueller could just throw fucking Trump out of the window. I mean, that would be more substantive than anything else. Anyway, 
this idea of nostalgia got us thinking. And then you sent me this um, Vice article about people finally getting sick of nostalgia in TV and movies. Yeah, I have thought about this a lot in the last couple of years. Just honestly, I guess it started when I realized I hated the Marvel movies, um, <laughs> which took me, I guess, about until like the Avengers 2 or maybe even before that. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not saying I dislike every reboot. Like, I was all in for Twin Peaks. I thought the X-Files, the first season they did of that reboot was pretty good. Arrested Development, I'm excited for the next one. Like, it can be done well, I'm not saying that. But, Sam, this article, I think, highlights a lot of things we've talked about in the past. Just how nostalgia has taken over culture. Yeah, well, now we have nostalgia for shit that's not even old, though, right? Like, we have nostalgia for shit that happened, like, a year ago. I got a Twitter notification because it was, like, remember one year ago when Lenny Kravitz wore that giant scarf? And I was like, no, I don't fucking remember this. And why would I care if I did? Stupid as fuck. Or the stupid Facebook memories that you get when you log in. Anyway. Those are always just, like, something to delete. Absolutely. Instantly delete that shit. But it goes on, and I think it had a really good example with The Last Jedi, where it's not so much nostalgia fatigue as nostalgia being kind of heavy-handed in these in Disney's fucking corporate hands. But they said Luke Skywalker's arc in The Last Jedi is a perfect example of nostalgia references that make people upset. A big conceit of this article is that audiences didn't like the most recent Star Wars movie. We talked about it on the show. It seems like basically half or less of the audience who wrote a review on Rotten Tomatoes fucking liked it. And that's not to say that's the only, that, that's not the only reboot. Like that's one that I think even had like some people liked it, but like, for example, Star for Trek sure. discovery had a 55% approval rating. Oh yeah, like, for sure. Like there've been so many God awful reboots uh, recently. For sure. And then they talked about the risks of trying to play with these old characters that people have nostalgia for. They said Luke Skywalker's arc in the most recent Star Wars movie is a good example of how hard it is to do this. In the original trilogy, he was moralistic, idealistic, and romanticizing the Jedi Order. In The Last Jedi, age and experiences have taken their toll, and as a result, the change in his demeanor angered fans. Which, they said it was a sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where if you made him stay, like, naive and, you know, uh, wide-eyed and idealistic, then it wouldn't make sense. But having him change too far makes audiences mad. So they described it as kind of like a catch-22, which I think was a good point as well. And then they weirdly uphold, like, Jumanji is a good example of nostalgia mm-hmm. because it's a reboot, but it's all new characters. And actually, Jumanji, Jumanji got me thinking about the most recent Kong movie. Have you yeah. seen Kong Skull Island? I heard it was bad. I did not. Okay, throw out everything you know about Kong Skull Island. That movie is a fucking work of art. That is an amazing... Ex- I watch lots of monster movies. Great monster movie. It is so fucking well done. It is so action-packed and gripping. I I think I was watching it at someone's house, and we got almost to the end of it, and then I left. And as soon as I got home, I was like, we have to put it on right now. It's so fucking good. 
<laughs> I have no I, no irony in my voice as I say this. And it's the same thing as what they described in Jumanji. It was a new, a reboot, but it told it from a new story. They just they put it set in like the seventies. They kind of just put, took the Kong story a step further, and it was brilliant and didn't take itself too seriously. And I fucking I loved it because it gave me some Kong nostalgia, but it was like a brand new movie as well. So I do kind of agree with their assessment on Jumanji, even though I didn't see Jumanji. <laughs> I'm not saying there's no place for reboots, but when an entire industry is banking exclusively on just these, like, nostalgia projects, and, like, you gotta admit, the majority of those are shit. Like, God, how many of those shitty, like, board game movies, like, Battleship? Like, like these, you know... They're, hey, they're, that was Riata's acting debut. Right, and th- there was that Barbie movie that they're making that was with Amy Schumer, now it's with Anne Hathaway. Like, they're... Like, just, can we just create some, like, original stories? Like, can we mine anything other than, uh, like, products for <laughs> stories? Yeah. H- having said that, I've heard some of the Lego movies are pretty good. <laughs> I hated it! <laughs> I, did, I, no, dude, I, I, I unequivocally, I was down for the Lego movie, and I made it through, like, 30 minutes and was like, this is shit. I hated it as much as I hated, like, Sausage Party. <laughs> Sausage Awful Party was uniquely disturbing. So to close out this week, we talked about Wormwood, which provoked me to reflect on some psychedelic experiences because as uh, I was watching Olsen have these uh, LSD things administered to him, I thought of, like, God, imagine if you were under such terrifying circumstances when you had no experience with this uh, thing. I mean, Sam, didn't that strike you? Not only have you never done it, you've probably never met anyone else who's ever done it. So it's not like today where little kids, hopefully not little kids, but anyone can go on the internet and go on Arrowid and look up what it's like to do acid and shit and get like 15 fucking like 20 page stories about the first time they did acid and stuff like that like these resources are available to people because people have done it before back then even the government didn't know what the fuck they were doing with that shit so it provoked me to just remember a ridiculous experience i had in college (laughs) um i was in my backyard with a couple friends what were you tripping on (laughs) It was psilocybin. Okay. Some mushrooms. And it had been like three hours. So anyone who's done that knows that three hours in, that's about you're entering like the rising peak of the thing. You know, you that's you're getting so Oh really? I've never I've never done this before. Oh really? All of a sudden the sky was showing just like sticks plummeting from it from over the fence, I realized. And I just, I had no idea what was going on. So, I, I listen, it's just these, like... Wait, so you're not, you're not hallucinating. No, this sticks. is, no, well, Sticks are actually falling on you? I thought I might have been, uh, you know, not real. And then I realized it was, and not only that, but we realized that these kids were yelling at us, saying, from behind the fence, they were just these disembodied, high-pitched voices saying things like, Get out of our town. <laughs> you bunch of gentrifiers. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird thing. Ultimately, a neighbor of mine ran out, you know, and she was a pretty old lady 
who definitely like emphysema or something, but you know, she came out and did the old lady, you know, yell at the children, the neighborhood children ran away. And I, so I walked over and started helping her clean up her, uh, like fence and garden. Cause they had like thrown a basketball hoop, like over the fence. Oh, I forgot to say the best. So the best part, really the climax of it is that they tried to throw like a garbage can over, but it like rolled back upon them. So they were like, they pushed it up and then it, they were like, ah, and it like fell down. And we were just, we, we, we were dying laughing. That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And then I, then it was, I just, you know, I helped the old lady next door, like clean up her yard. And it was, it was a really nice experience. <laughs> so I felt bad for, uh, Olsen cause you know, it's not all bad. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, I've already reported Dan to Jeff Sessions, but for now, I guess we can conclude that perhaps administered properly, uh, psychedelic drugs don't have to be as hellish as the CIA fucking trying to off you for knowing secrets about the Korean War. It's true. And I hope you enjoyed the plunge this week. And Sam, any final thoughts? We went through a lot this week. I think this was a good one. Yeah, I think we got some some good stuff out there. I think there's some knowledge in this one. And I think we represented ourselves well enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and um, I was wearing this baseball cap and had this huge Hawaiian shirt on. So my friend said that, while I was helping the old lady out, I looked like Michael Moore. <laughs> That's not the only time that, that accusation has been levied against you. No, one time literally a person, this is a whole other story, but one time there was literally a guy outside a bar came up to me and said, is that, are you Michael Moore? I, your films are so inspiring. And I, I was drunk and I was just like... <laughs> Thank you. They, those films mean a lot to me. It's like <laughs> this guy's world is like rocked by like where to invade next. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you should. You should have really leaned into it and been like, ever since I was born in Flint, Michigan, I've thought about you, the humble American. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be all. Have a pleasant week. We'll see you again next week. Bye folks.